the dog and him live from Abbotsford. Chris Faber. He's got the dog and him live from Abbotsford. It's Faber. It's Faber. All right, let's go. Final hour of the show here. Halford and Bruff, Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. Halford and Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. This hour of Halford and Bruff is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit Campbell-Pound.com today. And we are coming to you live from the Kintech Studio, Kintech Footwear, and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Now, you heard the uh, the theme music on the way in there. Is that the original guest theme song yes the, the one that started it all it, yeah it started it all went downhill after that <laughs> it's a piece of history <laughs> it is yeah it was, uh, a, it was a dark day for radio this is what happens when a dog shows off his personality <laughs> yeah yeah like, nobody no, likes it ah, gotta be not, more humble bud it's not growing the game nope nope it's just hurting it <laughs> uh but now joining us uh, from canucks army uh, as you heard in the theme music he is our guy chris faber faber what's going on man uh, I'm doing pretty good, but I'm uh, I normally don't call in, right? Like I, I normally do the connection with you guys over the computer. So I'm I'm struggling to like I, I'm just realizing now I never make a phone call where I'm like holding my phone to my ear, right. which I'm doing right now to try and give you guys like the best audio. And this is so weird to me because I'm always like headphones or speakerphone. But <laughs> is your uh, ar- is, is your like, arm getting going, tired? <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I'm switching hands. Like it's not good. I. I went to a colony bar the other night and I was, I played that quarterback machine that they got in there where you like throw the little yep. footballs through the holes. I did about 14 rounds on that. So I can, my left arm's only like 30 seconds max holding the phone up. So it's like, it is sore. So yeah, I'm struggling a little bit here. Well, you're, you're tough, tough through it, buddy. We need you. You got to push, push yeah. through it here. All right. He's got um, the dog in him. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. This is your chance to show that you've got that dog in you when it, <laughs> when it comes to holding a phone next to yeah, your ear for an extended period of time. Uh, that can be your identity. We were talking earlier in the show about the Canucks identity, if they have one. And if they don't have one, what could their identity plausibly be as they try to build towards being a perennial playoff team? What do you think, given the personnel they have in place, the Canucks should be trying to make their identity favor? Yeah, the, the personnel thing is interesting, right? I mean, a lot of the time in identity of a team, I think, comes from the head coach. I think the, the Carolina Hurricanes would be a great example of that with Rob Rendemore. But with Rick Tockett, the identity would be, okay, we're going to be very tough to play against. And I think that's something the Canucks have talked about for the last 12 years, it feels like. But you, you have to kind of look at the roster and, and think, okay, well, they are going to be tough to beat at times, but I don't know if they're going to be tough to play against with the roster they have lacking a little bit of those guys that kind of intimidate you physically. Uh, And and if they, I mean, the guys that they have in that role to kind of intimidate you, I'm not sure if they can consistently do it in the NHL just yet. And I'm, you know, thinking of guys like Vasily Podkoles and I'm thinking of guys like Dakota Joshua. I, I just don't know if there's enough consistency there for them to be that real tough team to play against. And I think that's the style that Rick Talkett's going to want the most. So, a lot of the time, I think all that stuff comes from your head coach. It's just going to be how can he execute it with his roster. And I don't know if the roster has enough potential to really be that hard to play against moving forward here. But I do think if everything clicks for them, they're more of a, a skilled team that 
can kind of outscore you and win the special teams battle. But that's also been a huge problem for them over the past couple of years, specifically with the penalty kill. So there's there's a lot of things that need to click for them to find an identity. But for now, we're, we're kind of just sitting in limbo where we don't know what the Canucks identity really is. Yeah, it's funny. When, when I was coming up with ideas for what plausibly could be the Canucks identity, I just went straight to the power play. But is that like, <laughs> is that an identity? Like, we'll beat you on the power play. Right, like I, I don't know. Is that enough? Would that make them like a not a high flying team, but like could they be a high octane team? That that sounds cool. Imagine your our identity is high octane. Yeah, that sounds like something they'd put on the uh, when they just released the NHL cover for NHL twenty four. Like high octane sounds like what they're gonna yeah. call that game for this year. And, and yeah, actually, you know, like when you said that, it does kind of sound like that could be the identity of the Vancouver Canucks and high octane, high drama, like it, it could be that again next season, but they, they at least have the pieces to, to be exciting. It, it's just going to be, it, it's hard to be exciting in the NHL when you're not winning games, mm. right? And when you're actually consistently winning, yeah, then they're high octane. If not, they're just high drama. Then like that's what they've been <laughs> over the past few years. So um, at least they have the potential to get there. Like you do have, you know, Pedersen, and when Demko's on his game, you have a team that can be really exciting, uh, really kind of drive through the offense there, and specifically when you even kind of start to include the defensemen. You're looking at Philip Peronik, who has some potential to be really offensive, and Quinn Hughes, obviously, like his his best thing that he brings to a hockey game is how offensive he is and how much he can create uh, from the neutral zone down. So, yeah, I think high octane would probably be the best bet that I would go with on this team actually finding an identity. That That kind of fits to me. Now explain what octane means. Uh, I think it's part of uh, an engine. I think it's like uh, the difference between a six-cylinder and an uh, eight-cylinder in a V8. So, yeah, that's, I think that's I don't octane. think that's it at all. I'm not sure about that last like, part. I think it has to do with gasoline. <laughs> isn't, yes. it an, isn't it an energy drink? I'm pretty sure it's an energy Actually, drink. Actually, you know, I'm drinking a NOS right now. I guarantee it says high octane. <laughs> Hey, um, with the addition of uh, Puce Suter, I thought it was Pius, but then Dodd told me it was Puce, and it turns out it is Puce Suter. Um, where does that leave guys like Nils Hoaglander and Vasily Podkolzin? Uh, in an interesting spot for a battle, that's for sure. I mean, there's it's going to be – I'm curious to see what happens with uh, Puce Suter's line, and are they going to give him some wingers that have – a little bit more uh, defensive chops, or are they going to kind of say, okay, well, let's see what we can do with our third line and create some offense because of the personnel that we have. And like Vasily Pod Colson sounds like he might be a guy who could fit there, but I'm going to be really curious to see which of Huglander and Pod Colson gets a run into the top six. Cause I, I do think there's a spot there for them. And um, it'll be interesting if there's another winger kind of moved out here. Like, I don't know how the Canucks are really feeling going into the season. But the other day when we were doing our show, Harmon brought up a really good point and was like, Hey, we can, we can make line combinations. We can talk about everything, but let's let, you know, also remember that a lot of things are going to change. Somebody's going to get hurt by the time we get to the actual game one opening night of the regular season. So the way that we're kind of looking at this winger depth and how many wingers they have battling for spots, you almost have to like take one or two out of it by the time we actually get to opening night. And, um, I, I think there's there's an interesting opportunity for both those young players, and they're in a little bit of a different spot with Huglander signing his deal uh, in the off season here for a two year extension, and Vasily Podkolzin's heading into the final year of his ELC. He'll be looking for a nice little raise as well. So I I have to bet on Podkolzin being a guy who can 
kind of get that top six opportunity and run with it. I think in a contract year, players just play really good. Like that's something that happens every single year uh, in the NHL. So uh, it'll be, I'm not sure how much they come into playing on Studer's line. I, I think, I don't think Huglander is going to be there because I, I kind of have uh, Connor Garland penciled in on that line. And I just don't think you're going to be able to run with two small wingers there with Pew Studer, who's I think five foot ten, five foot eleven. He's not very big either. So, yeah, I'm not really sure how they come into the equation with Pew Studer because I think it's going to be difficult for them. But also, I'm not sure which one of them makes more sense on a fourth line either. So it, the third line just doesn't really feel like a great fit for either player. I guess you could give it to Pod Colson, but. It's almost more of like, uh, can we sneak one of these two young wingers into the top six and then play the other one on the fourth line? That's kind of the way that I see uh, the opening night roster shaking down for those two anyway. So I was reading your latest for Canucks Army, and it was 11 different forward line combinations for the Vancouver Canucks, and you even did three for the Abbotsford Canucks, and I I laughed at it because um, I know that we spend every offseason like two or three months putting lines together for the Vancouver Canucks, and then injuries happen or some guy underperforms, and then all of a sudden it's like, here's a line. Sheldon drives between uh, Connor Garland and Phil Giuseppe. Did anyone have that at the beginning of the offseason? It's kind of one of those things that we do, but it's like it's like the, the line combinations last like one period. And and I think one thing that you maybe do have to uh, appreciate about this Canucks team is they seem to have some versatility. Like getting a guy like Pew Suter who can play the wing as well, that helps, especially if you do want to have a guy like Nils Amon on the team because you want to keep him, keep encouraging him and keep keep growing him in his NHL role without seeming like he's taking a step back if he gets sent back to Abbotsford. Yeah, and you know what? Like, that can all change too. Like, the versatility is great, but if you're a very good team and you're eva- like, and, and you're able to kind of avoid injuries throughout the season, you can you can keep your four lines together for a long time. Good teams do this in the NHL all the time. When they're winning games, they don't have to change the lineup. And I think that's been the problem for Canucks fans is we follow this team that has not won a lot of games. They've had to change the lineup a lot. So. Yeah, the versatility is good at the start, and the, the position that the Canucks are in right now where they don't really have established lines, versatility is very important, actually, for what they're about to walk into with training camp, preseason, and all that. But I, I would like to see the versatility be something that doesn't get praised in the Canucks roster very much once we start actually heading into the season. I'd like to see it be, okay, these guys are actually playing on the good third line together. You know, Pew Suter found success with Connor Garland and, let's say, Anthony Bavillier. They're a line that's going to stick together for more than a period, more than a week, more than even hopefully a couple of months. Like I'd like to see a third line be the same for like three months of the season. That's kind of what good teams do in the NHL. And I think that's something that we just really haven't seen from the Vancouver Canucks. So, you know, versatility can be one way to look at it, but I'd like to see some consistency from, from some of these bottom six lines where it feels like, like I can't remember the last time I could tell you like this was the Canucks' third line for most of the season. Like I have no idea when I could tell you I remember that last because it just hasn't happened, and it's probably because the Canucks haven't been a great team over the past few years. Yeah, they've just been constantly searching for depth, constantly things that work, like you say, that they can just keep putting together. Um, are you at all concerned? Because I know your 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 dog ratings often uh, take into account physicality and grit. When you look at the Canucks forwards, 
are you worried that they might be a little too on the soft side? I'm not necessarily on going to say on the soft side. I think that even the skilled players, some of them are a lot tougher than they than they probably are assumed by a lot of teams and like from fans who just don't watch them every night. Like I, I still think that you know, and the average NHL fan probably looks at Elias Patterson and still thinks like he's he's not a tough guy. But like if you actually watch him play on a nightly basis, you're like, no, like he's tough, and it's not necessarily from throwing huge hits, even though he's kind of added that a little bit over the past year here, which was nice to see a few times, but. Yeah, I don't think that there's like a real tough part of the lineup or the fourth line is going to be three guys that are extremely tough to play against. But to me, like I do think, and it's something to kind of circle back to like the first question you asked, but maybe this type of thing does come from the coach. Maybe this is something that's established for the organization in training camp. And, and these are the type of things that you can use training camp to do is like, okay, well, let's let's fit what our coach wants to see from us and let's be tough to play against. Let's have lines that teams hate to face every single night. And, man, like I tell you, like Rick Talkett is the right guy to learn this from, I feel like. So uh, I, do I think that they're a little bit soft in parts of their lineup? For sure. Do I think that they're a little bit small in parts of their lineup? For sure. But depending on how they can actually execute what their coaching staff is asking from them, like the, I, I'm not too, too worried about it, to be honest. I just have a feeling that if you're going to be a soft NHLer, like Adam Foote's not going to like you as a defenseman. Rick Tockett's <laughs> not going to like you in your forward group. You're not going to be getting ice time playing soft for Rick Tockett. So um, I think that the coaching staff has some pressure on it to kind of establish that and change the culture a little bit in Vancouver that way. You know, you talk about the versatility at forward, Faber, and it's a bit of a double-edged sword, as you're mentioning. And it's kind of the case on, on the blue line as well, right? Both Ian Cole and Carson Soucy, left-shot defensemen, but have the ability to play on the right side. And we're in this spot on the blue line, too, where – you know, I have no idea who's going to be Quinn Hughes's partner to start the season, who's going to be Philip Ronick's partner to start the season. And I think, you know, even more than finding a stable third pairing or sorry, third line of forwards, finding a really reliable partner for Hughes and for Ronick as well. I think that might be even more important for the coaching staff to figure out early in the season. Yeah, like I I don't know who's going to play with Quinn Hughes. It could be like it could be Ian Cole, it could be Noah Juleson. I don't think it's going to be Philip Peronic. I don't think it's going to be Tyler Myers. I, I kind of wish they had uh, the guy that kind of just made sense to play with Quinn Hughes. I really have been saying that for years with him. It's it's time for the Canucks to get uh, a player that actually makes Quinn Hughes better as his partner. And I think they drafted that guy in Tom Willander if he absolutely hits. But, like, yeah, it's going to be difficult because I think you can you can shape down the defense pairings and say okay what does it look like with Juleson up there what does it look like with Ian Cole up there if Noah Juleson fits with Hughes that to me makes the best defense pairings but at the same time I, I don't love the idea of Noah Juleson being the opening night starter for Quinn Hughes but I have to look at it as a real possibility which is wild to think I guess like when you when you talk about a team that has playoff aspirations and maybe Noah Juleson can figure it out the former first round pick I know a lot of people actually kind of do like watching him play with Quinn Hughes and I wouldn't be one of those people, but like, you know, they they at least have a little bit more options. Like you talked about with the versatility. I, I don't know about Susie on the right side. Like I think he's done it a tiny bit, but I believe when I looked back last year, it was like 6% of his shifts were as a right shot defenseman. So I'm not really even really penciling him in as a guy who can play the right side. So Ian Cole is that guy. He can play that spot. He's played with, you know, Victor Hedman at times over the past couple of seasons as well. So, I guess Ian Cole would probably be my pick on opening night, but I'm not even like, I, I 
just don't know. Like, I think Quinn Hughes is going to look fine with whoever he plays with. Like, like I mentioned, it could be Noah Jolson, could be Ian Cole. I, I wonder if Cole is the, the, the kind of clubhouse favorite right now, because I think that he could be, it's just a little bit different. He's been around the league for a while. He knows what it's like to play with winning teams. He knows how to fit into a role. And at least I think I like that position when you're coming to play with Quinn Hughes. If you can fit what Quinn Hughes' partner should look like, you probably are going to have success with Quinn Hughes if you can keep up in the NHL. So, yeah, some versatility there for sure, but I think uh, more question marks than anything too. Faber, I hope uh, your arm's holding up all right with the phone uh, next to your ear. Thanks for doing this, buddy. Yep, absolutely, guys. I'm I'm doing good. I've been flipping back and forth, so uh, just keeping it seamless. Uh, you, know, you made it look easy. Way, way to grind yeah, through it, Fabes. I can hold up a phone for 20 minutes or oh, however long this has been. That's awesome, man. You could play for Talkit. Yeah, well, you know, I see him on the elevator every once in a while. He's been <laughs> saying I'm getting big, but I don't know if that's a compliment. Do you look at him? You hold the phone up to your ear. Like, see this? Yeah, yeah. See what I'm it. capable just of? Just buddy. looks at him, doesn't say anything, and just flexes. I'll just add. I, I think uh, I think Taka would be a little more worried about me getting in shape than actually playing for him. <laughs> <laughs> so. great chatting with you, buddy. You bet. So see you guys. Have a good see one. You, uh, that is Chris Faber of Canucks Army, the Canucks Conversation podcast, uh, weighing in a little bit on the Canucks depth chart and some of the decisions the Canucks coaching staff are going to have to make in training camp. Okay, let's move on to what we learned yes. here. Just a reminder, text in your what we learned into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650 Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street. Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Beatrice in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. I'm going to do one, but it's mostly meant for you to comment on okay. it. Okay, very um, exciting. Team Canada's Jamal Murray yes. has withdrawn from the FIBA World Cup. Were you able to get a handle on why he's withdrawn? So, and then, then we can talk about yeah, how this, this might affect been, Canada's chances. This has been kind of an interesting one to see it unfold because they had a training camp in Toronto early this month, and he was there, and all of the the talk from him, right, the reporting around it was very positive. Jamal Murray's here. He's going to be in the backcourt. He's going to play at this tournament. Then as they started getting closer to the exhibition games, it was, well – we don't know if he's going to play in exhibition games. And even though, you know, Rowan Barrett, who runs the team, had said if 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 a player doesn't play in the exhibition games, they can't play for us at the tournament. And then all of a sudden it was Jamal Murray, who we were all saying is definitely going to play. Well, he might not play in the exhibition games. And now it's official. He hasn't played. He didn't play in either of the three uh, friendlies they've already played. Now it's official. The interesting thing is, you know, at first, I thought that there was some sort of nagging injury or an injury he had picked up. And you hear the way that he and the organization, Basketball Canada, are talking about it. Sure. Okay, here's the statement from Jamal Murray. When I came into training camp, I wanted to see how my body would respond after a long and demanding season and if I would be physically able to compete at the highest level required for the World Cup. In consultation with medical staff and the team, it is clear that additional recovery is required, and I have made the difficult decision to not participate in the tournament. So there's no note of a specific no. injury. It's just and my body's tired. That was the statement from <laughs> Jamal Murray, and the statement from Basketball Canada even used the word rehab. Additional rehab is recovered. And like usually you only say rehab if you're rehabbing from an injury, not just right. resting and getting ready. Look, I don't know what's going on here. I get it. Jamal Murray 
he obviously had the major ACL injury that he came back from last year. He played deep into the summer, obviously, with the uh, the champion Denver Nuggets. So I get it from that perspective. It's just the way it all unfolded and the kind of messaging around it seemed very odd to me. It feels like right. it went from, he's definitely playing, to, oh, actually, maybe not, and now, mm-hmm. officially, he's not playing. Now, the interesting thing is... I wonder if the Denver Nuggets have any role in this. Like, I mean, are they knows? are they in conversation with Basketball Canada and be like, hey, hey, by the way, we really need that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, no, we, I we, wonder. We, I wonder. How, I just wonder how those dynamics work. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's some communication, right? Yeah. And and Murray would obviously be talking to the Nuggets, so he would know what they would think. The interesting thing now is, okay, you're losing a really key player, a guy who was the second best player on the NBA champion just a couple of months ago you still have a really deep roster. You still have a a first-team All-NBA player in Shea Gilgis-Alexander. How can you rebound from the loss of Jamal Murray? Who steps up? Like, that's the flip side, right? Mm -hmm. There there are opportunities now for guys like R.J. Barrett uh, to step up and play a really big role here, and that's what I'm going to be watching. They should still be able to qualify for the Olympics, but it's just just a bummer, too, that we're not going to be able to see Jamal Murray and Shea Gilgis Alexander as a partnership in the backcourt. Like, that would have been awesome. All right, give us a moo cow on that, Laddie. I'll just do a quick one here. Uh, the Indianapolis Colts, I learned, have named, already named Anthony Richardson uh, their starting quarterback. And this is interesting for a number of reasons. Uh, we all know the Indianapolis Colts have run through a bunch of veteran quarterbacks and and sometimes this works. For the most part, it hasn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year, they were kind of the picture of a dysfunctional team, dysfunctional organization. They brought in Jeff Saturday to coach, <laughs> which the whole thing was weird. Uh, now they've got a head coach by the name of Shane Steichen, who was the offensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles, also the Chargers before that. Uh, he's only 38 years old, so he's kind of like one of these you know, young NFL wonder coaches that's now being tasked with turning Mm -hmm. around the Indianapolis Colts. Um, This is a pretty bold decision to name Anthony Richardson, the starting quarterback, because most of the scouting reports on Richardson was like unbelievable talent, right? Like this guy is incredible, but is he detailed enough right now to start at quarterback in the NFL, right? It's just, you know, he's a fourth overall draft pick, and the Colts finally said, okay, listen, enough of these veteran quarterbacks. We're going to get this franchise guy in. So for him, it's going to be a challenge. And also, if you're a new head coach, Shane Steichen, he's never been a head coach in the NFL. For this to be his first big decision, like he easily could have said, like, listen, I'm the new head coach here. They're not going to fire me this year, right? (laughs) I'm just going to start Gardner Minshew yeah. and just bring along Anthony Richardson really slowly. But he's decided, all right, let's do this. So the, the Indianapolis Colts for me like suddenly became more interesting than I thought they were because I didn't think that – I thought they'd I, I thought they bring him along a little slower. The Minshew part of it is interesting because he's kind of the prototypical like veteran quarterback that you play for a year while you develop yeah, your, yeah. the guy you just drafted. Sack right? him like, all you want. No, I, we, no, don't, well, we don't you know, care. And, you know, he's, <laughs> you know? he's 
he's fine. Like you, you're, you can go out there and win yeah. some games, right? You can pad your resume as a first year head coach with a few wins with Gardner Minshew there, and nobody's expecting big things, but you're still going to be competitive. And and then you go to Anthony Richardson in a year. Like he is. That's what Gardner Minshew is designed for, right? That's what his role is. So it's a little bit surprising. I don't mind it though. If you think you've got the franchise guy, sure. Now the the question is always like, well. Are you putting him at risk? You know, are you going to stunt his development? Confidence. Are you going to Are you going to New York Jets him? (laughs) But if you think he's the guy, I don't have a problem with going to him right out of the gate. You're right; it does make them a lot more exciting. That's for sure. Give us a mukau on that. Send in your what we learned into the Dunbar Lumber text line six fifty six fifty. We'll get to them on on the other side of the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet six fifty. The People's Show, where you're part of the show. Download the podcast and stay up to date on Vancouver sports all summer long. Now for my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh God, this is always dead. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. On the show. It sure is. Final segment of the show. Halford and Bruff here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd filling in for Mike Halford. Halford and Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Accurate dealer today. This hour of Halford and Bruff is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Uh, trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit Campbell-Pound.com today. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at Dunbar Lumber. Dot com. Uh, we will go into the inbox for the listener what we learned momentarily, but the dogs, the dogs were very adamant that they wanted to contribute to the segment uh, as well. So, Laddie, you're up first. Sure, I got to get my baseball what we learned in of course, before A Dog gets his baseball what we learned in. He's got a baseball one today too, surprisingly. But uh, what we learned: the New York Yankees are 500 or worse for the first time this late in a season in 28. 28- Years after their loss yesterday. Wow. It's not looking good for New York. Somebody and even, check on Randeep. <laughs> yeah, check on Randeep. And also, Pedro Martinez, the hated Pedro Martinez in New York, also taking shots at them on MLB Network last night. It's hard to watch the Yankees go that way. I, I remember watching the Yankees early in the season, and when they were going well, they looked like so confident. It was like watching uh, a bulldog beat up on a chihuahua. When they were playing those teams, and now they look like the Chihuahuas to to any other team, especially a good team like the Atlanta Braves. So now the New York Yankees are the Chihuahua. So when was their last losing season where they finished below? I'm looking back to 1992 when they finished 76 and 86. So like when the Jays won the World yeah. Series, thirty plus years ago now, and they but have not been. Yeah, I think the, the tweet I read was twenty eight seasons, which implies that it goes through the lockout mm, year, through the right. bad strike season, or the yeah. strike yeah. season that they had. Yeah, that's, so that's crazy, been a while though. Without a losing season, I didn't know that. That is wild. Good, good. What we learned, laddie. There we go. Hey, dog. I have a really quick one. I learned yesterday. That Jeff Petrie, of course, he was just traded to the Detroit Red Wings. His father 
Dan Petrie played for the Detroit Tigers in the MLB. Jeff Petrie's dad was an MLB baseball player. I did not know this. See, I, I I originally said I didn't know that, and then you said his name, Dan Petrie. I'm like, oh, yeah, the Tigers. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that was his dad, though. Won a World Series in 84. Crazy. Yes. Yeah. Great year. I uh, I did not know that. Balak was uh, disgusted with me. He's like, how do you not? I, like, I don't know. He played well, most of his career before I was born. They have the same number now. Jeff Petrie's uh, number on the, the Red Wing is 46, which was the same number his dad wore. I do love, though. Who I'm... did the Tigers beat in 84? Oh, jeez. It's, it's a sad club city. I don't know. San Diego. Really? Yeah, yeah. I remember there was a there there was a uh, there was a punky Brewster uh, because I think in '84 the Padres played the Cubs in the National League uh, NLCS and Punky Brewster ended up going to a game. Sure, I am old. <laughs> you remember this vividly? Um, yeah, I was like, cool. It's a baseball version of Punky Brewster. So, so that would have been really really early in Tony Gwynn's career with the Padres if '84. Yeah, yeah I guess been right so. around the time he would have been. Just starting with them. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm looking at Dan. He's like, things, uh, are, things are going to be great. This is going <laughs> to be awesome. Yeah. I'm looking at Dan Petrie's baseball reference page, and he's got that great thing going where, you know how like every athlete from the 70s and 80s looked like, 50, they all looked like 45 minimum, even when they were in the prime yeah, yeah, yeah. of their career. Like He's got that going in a big way. He's got the mustache. I don't know exactly yeah, they all look when. like Jim Nill. Yeah, I don't know exactly <laughs> when his picture was taken, but he's probably like max 30 in this picture. They all look like Jim Nill. He looks like he's like the like twenty plus year vice principal at an elementary school with the mustache and just like the age he is. It's really quite Jim incredible. Nilshi. <laughs> like Jim Dell. Now I'm looking on the IMDb Punky Brewster page. As the Chicago Cubs play in their first postseason championship since 1945, proud Cubs fan Henry tries to get tickets for Punky and himself. Does anyone remember Punky? <laughs> Nobody Brewster? has any idea. Am I on an island? I know, here? I know. Soleil Moonfry. <laughs> no, it's the children who are wrong. I no, I know what you're talking. I know the show. Nobody has any idea what you're talking. I, I know, obviously I know what the show is. It was just before my time. That's all. But I'm well aware that it exists. All right, give us a moo cow. I mean, it's no Iron Eagle. Give us a moo cow on my career, <laughs> please. Uh, let's dip into the Dunbar Lumber text line here. Uh, Joseph in South Surrey, what we learned, I learned that finding Hughes, a defensive partner, has become the new find the Sedins a right winger. Summer after summer and year after year, the fans and media are debating who is going to be the person to step up and become his Burroughs. Yeah, well, the funny thing with the Sedins is like, before they found Burroughs, it was... Like a thing. Right? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah Huge yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. That's what the I think that's what he means, yeah, right? They were saying. And, and yeah, the interesting yeah. thing there is, of course, it was a completely unexpected, right? Because it was yeah, always yeah, yeah. like, go out in free agency or, you know, trade for Steve Bernier, right? And like, put him with the Sedins, and that's how it'll work. And then it was a completely unexpected source who actually was the best fit for them. When did Hughes start playing with Luke Shen? Was it, it was the season before last season, Well, it was right? his, I mean, also like his first five games, Luke Shen was still here and he was partnered with him when okay. he had the call up at the, and right. then there was a season where Luke Shen went away and then, or at least a season, I think two seasons. And then, so yeah, the season before last. So a bit of a funny Shen story back. Uh, Justin Bourne, who does intermission sometimes, um, I think it was a Leafs Canucks game or something like that. It mm-hmm. was, it, he, Bourne doesn't really do the Canucks games anymore, but he used to, right? He would do intermissions yep. for the Canucks. And I guess he was tasked with coming up with three things that the Canucks needed to do 
in the off season or something like that. Three challenges that they had to do. So he's like, it's like, I don't know. Like I mostly cover the Leafs. So he reached out to Halford and I and said, mm-hmm. can you help me out with this, this, this assignment? Cause I don't want to get ripped on TV. I don't want everyone to rip me because I don't know anything about the Canucks. So I helped him come up with three things. And one of the things was find a long-term partner for Quinn Hughes. So we said it. And then people lost their minds because they loved Luke Shen so much. And I felt kind you of bad. Up. I felt kind of bad because he's, he's like, that. people are like, classic Toronto guy doesn't know that Luke Shen is a perfect defensive partner for Quinn Hughes. And we love him and he's amazing. And he's like, bruh, you're killing me here. But you said long term. Like you could be as big yeah, a fan yeah. of Luke Shen no, in the world, and it was one hundred percent right. A long term fit. Come on, get out of here. Uh, this one from Chef Swagger from Hell's Kitchen. He framed it as an ask as anything, but I'm going to make it a what we learned. It was on my what we learned list. Uh, he says it's what we learned. It's Pirate Pack Day today at White Spot. He also oh asks, my god, what are you getting at White Spot? So I wanted to bring this up because uh, we are uh, we're sponsoring Pirate Pack or. Pirate Pack Day, or doing something involved with it anyway at the station. So as Bruff and I were walking out of the studio, whatever, we're involved somehow. As Bruff and I were walking out of the studio yesterday, our promo department had like a massive spread of Pirate Packs on the table in the lobby. And this is 9 a.m., right? We're leaving the show. And Bruff and I both immediately stopped and we're like, are those those up for grabs? You got a a couple of extra ones there. And there's like 20 of them. I think they thought we were joking at first because it was 9 a.m. and they're pirate packs with ice cream and, and hamburgers. But, so we just kind of awkwardly lingered around. And eventually they did give us each one. Yes. We, we took lingered them around like complete creeps. <laughs> yes, like we like just hung around this creeps. table. We were like, we're staying here until we get a pirate pack. We're and, not going away. And yeah. I got to say, I took it home and I absolutely demolished a burger and fries. I put my ice cream very responsibly in the freezer for later, but I mm. demolished a burger, fries, and a Coke at 9 a.m. It was amazing. Yeah. I, I loved it. It was like the best morning breakfast I've had in a long time. So I highly recommend when a, you're up a at morning four pack. a.m., it, it kind of, you, can, you can push ahead yeah. lunch, I think, like, a little you know earlier. Just I, was dis- right I was disappointed they didn't bring them to us because that did happen before, and it was one of the best days of my life. But this year, not so much. Apparently, Dom got them yesterday. Oh, that's like, oh, Dom's going to do all the promo in the what? social media. I was like, who made that decision? But anyways, he, he lucked out and got the pirate pack uh, uh, yesterday. West End, Mike, a lot of people are texting in their punky brewster memories just so they, just so you know and apparently there's an updated revamped punky brewster is it like fuller house they they did a revamped full house they did. a lot uh, of people are texting in their it. punky brewster punkier memory. brewster punkier yeah brewster. west end mike texts in i only remember the episode of punky brewster where her friend got stuck in an old fridge while playing hide and seek and they had to do cpr six-year-old me was then terrified of fridges and freezers and worried that i didn't know cpr I, too, remember that episode. It was a very special episode of Punky Brewster. And I guess maybe in the 80s, there was a problem with kids hiding in fridges, in old fridges. Uh, we were we were allowed to do more things. There wasn't as much supervision of kids back then. Uh, Jungle just, gyms could kill you. You would just be like, go outside and play. Go and, find a fridge, and guys, listen, all right? Some of us would run into an old fridge, and oh. we'd be like, let's go in that thing. Uh, the, the, the calling of the week. Someone yeah. make it, some wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
No oxygen in there once yeah. you shut that fridge. Are very special episodes still a thing? Because that was a huge thing. Yeah, the new family pun- sitcoms. New Punky right? Brewster has an episode about Tide Pods. And where, like, I remember, them. like on uh, like Home Improvement would have very special episodes, yep. like Blossom. Different, different Strokes had some very serious, very special episodes. They still remember do the crossover. Thing. Like the shows do the crossover, so those can be very special. Well, what's the one? What was the Michael J. Fox? Uh, one where he's the like uh, family ties. Yeah, yeah, yeah family ties. They yeah, had a whole one. And it was, I can like, do all the eighties episodes. <laughs> he's shot one. like on a on a black background, and he's in a spotlight. Like it's like an off Broadway play. Like they oh, really went. So you know what I mean? Message, yeah, yeah, yeah. For it was like yeah, really, yeah. they really went for it. You don't see that anymore. I remember when he had to play uh, chess against uh, a Russian player. And he learned a very valuable lesson because, you know, he was like a patriot. Yes, he was, like a, he was proud, a big Reagan guy. He was like right? a Republican. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and he, he was like, I want to I want to beat this Russian. I he's a crush this Russian. He's a commie, you know, like and it was, a, it was big back in the day. Like, you know, we didn't like communists. And but he learned a very important lesson that you can hate a country, but it's very difficult to hate a person. Because he actually liked this guy. He was like, this is a, you He know. was an all right so dude. that was one of the very special lessons that I learned as a kid. I remember from the early 90s, and I don't <laughs> know if the 90s kids could back me up in the inbox, but there were a bunch, there were all these kids' cartoons, Saturday morning cartoons, and they all got together for this like half an hour don't do drugs special. It was like a dare. Yeah, yeah, know, yeah. The, the dare. Was Nancy Reagan involved? She may have been an, an animated version of her. Just say no. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but one- yeah, it was like this thirty-minute cartoon. It had every single Saturday morning cartoon from all the different networks that got together. Mm-hmm. And like six-year-old me thought this was the most incredible piece of television. And it worked. I've ever- you never did drugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it totally worked. Um, anyways, like, moving on. Uh, I remember like on arcade games, there would be like a big anti-drug message whenever you started up yeah. an arcade game. We know you're going to get stoned before you play this yeah. game. So <laughs> Stop doing don't. drugs. But yeah, the Home Improvement <laughs> very special episode I remember was the one where uh, JTT thought he had cancer. Oh. That was pretty heavy. Oh, that was pretty heavy for Home Improvement. Yeah, yeah he was didn't? like, I guess not. I mean, I think it was like, I think it was like, he had to, he, they, I don't know, they probably did a biopsy or whatever they do, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it turned out he didn't have oh, cancer. Oh, good news. Yeah, yeah. yeah, good news. But yeah. it was it was heavy there well, for a yeah, while. Well, yeah, Saved by the Bell with Jesse on drugs. That's, That's right. a good one. Yep. No, but she was on caffeine pills, wasn't it? Yes, oh, it? it was not like hard drugs. <laughs> they had to tone it, it down for... Trucker pills. <laughs> it was like study pills. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was what she, she, she was like. I'm so excited. I'm so scared. Yeah. Or something. She wasn't like doing that. heroin. She was. She was doing caffeine. Pills. They should have done it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, what we learned. Um, I wanted to read this one from Marcus and Gibson's. I learned Wayne Rooney's messy opinion, saying the MLS is a tough league, isn't aging well. Yeah, I think Wayne Rooney had something like Messi's not going to go over there and dominate. It's a tougher Oops. league than you think. He's like, well, nine goals in six games. Yeah. And he's pretty much single-handedly turned around this Inter-Miami team. Well, that's not fair. He's got a couple of his old Barcelona running mates there. But still. Well, and the other, I think part of it, though, is even the guys who are there, you know, the cliche of what do the best players do, right? They make the uh, everyone else around them better. Like, even the guys who are on the Inter-Miami team, who was in last place, are now playing incredibly well and like yeah. scoring goals all the time. It's like it's because Messi's there, and mm-hmm. as much as people are saying like nobody's paying attention to him out there on the pitch for some reason, he's still creating tons of goals for the 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 MLS guys who were there before him. He's so incredible to watch. It's pretty amazing. Have you ever watched any of the highlights of him as like a kid? It yes, is incredible. Yeah, what I find, and it, and it's the same with uh, you know when you watched Maradona. 
it's like they can run full speed and dribble With and just perfect like the, control. The ball seems like it's on a string on their feet. Yeah. Like that that that's what I find absolutely amazing about players like Messi and back in the day Maradona. I remember speaking of watching uh highlights of of star athletes as kids. I remember seeing a YouTube video of these weren't even like top prospects, but it was like the Dutch team Ajax and it was like their I think it was like their under nine team <laughs> play against another Dutch team. And it was like small field and everything, but I was watching it. I was probably like, I don't know, 28 at the time or something. And it's like, these nine-year-olds would destroy me at soccer. Like that's how good they yeah, were. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where yeah. you're like yeah. me as like a relatively fit in the prime of my life guy, I would get absolutely annihilated so by these nine-year-olds okay, at so soccer. Some of the young hockey players that you see, um, how old are the kids at that brick tournament? They're like, 12 ish i think yeah, 11 yeah. 12 have you seen any yeah. of that like they sometimes scrolls over my instagram yeah like hockey highlights or whatever like the, the algorithms got me down pretty good and like they're skating their moves yeah and then you actually like watch some of the gameplay their systems are perfect like they put our beer league team to shame <laughs> their systems with how they break the puck out or yeah. how they enter a zone it is really incredible that they get that good that early. That's not saying much, though. The better structure than your beer league team. <laughs> any team with a coach is going to have better structure than any beer league team. I'm sorry. That's true. Uh, Colin and Tawasson says, what we learned, holding a phone to your ear is now considered to be odd and old-fashioned. Young people like Faber can't even comprehend it. That's uh, Colin in Tawasson. I've had that thought, too, though. Are like, you, when I've actually got the phone up to me, I'm like, for I like, do this very often. For a long stretch of time. Are yeah. you like a, a big phone call guy no no i hate it no and i think sometimes people paint it as a generational thing mm -hmm. like oh you millennials you don't like no. to use the phone i don't like it i don't yeah. like people that leave voicemails my no. sister leaves voicemails and i'm like are you kidding me like no. now i have to go in and type in my code and listen to this long rambling message just text me text me yes we have a better solution it's called texting yeah just do it just yeah, text exactly don't 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 but make every me pick once up in a phone. while you know who i'll have big long conversations with drance <laughs> When I want to rant about the Canucks. You know exactly where to go. You call Drance. Yeah, I call Drance. Because if I call Halford, he'll be like, yeah. No, I don't care. I don't care. Right? Like, <laughs> well, with Halford, too. He'll be watching TV while you're talking. Yeah, and... yeah he's like super confused. Yeah. and like <laughs> we, we know what he does when you're talking to him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, he it. just, isn't that funny, by the way? Actually, Drance does the same thing. We've got the same problem. Yeah. Because now that we're streaming, um, we've got co-hosts that don't listen to us, apparently. <laughs> okay, here's the thing, though. Now, I, I have never come to Drance's defense on this point before, but when I was co-hosting with Izzy on this show, mm -hmm. we weren't streaming, but we posted a video of us, and Were you checking Izzy, out Izzy was Izzy? talking, and I was looking at my computer, and somebody commented on it, and Izzy very fairly said on the show the next day, like, it's not that you're not paying attention, mm -hmm. it's that you're... Like you're looking at what's coming up next on the show. You're looking at the yeah. inbox. You're looking at social media. Like it's part of the job. To but Drance seems to like kick his feet up on the table and do nothing. <laughs> yeah. Like Drance, it might be a little bit of a different circumstance. Smoking yeah. a cigar. He's just like Halford. That. Halford. Yeah. Sometimes he's doing that, but sometimes he's just like watching highlights on TV. <laughs> like we've got two TVs here, and I'm honestly thinking about turning the TVs off. Like well, he would some, just look at a shiny object some, instead. Some, you look at the lights. Some people listening right now must have kids that if they're watching TV. You can't talk to them. Oh, 100%. Right? Like, you're it's trying just, to, like, okay, so you got to get dressed, yeah. or like, it's time for school now. But if the TV's on, they're like, yeah, I'm in another world right now. That's a bit like talking to Halford, you know? 
Like he's like a child who sees like, oh, there's a sports play on TV. Jason's saying something, but he'll keep rambling. It's probably about a right shot defenseman or something, and I can just come in and say something at the end of it. I think Duran says the thing where he's like incapable of sitting still almost. So like, you know how some people have to like doodle? If you're in like a class in high school or something and you have to doodle and that's how that's He's how you pay that. attention, you can't just like sit there and stare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he has a bit of that where it's mm-hmm. like I have to be doing something. They've said actually that fidgeting is a way that that helps you focus. Yeah, fidgeting. I think for some people it is for sure. Yeah, it could be. Maybe I don't know. Should we should we take them to some sort of like counselor though or something? Like just <laughs> like drop them off. Cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, do we have any more of what we learned here? Oh, here's one. Uh, unsigned, what we learned. Sam Kerr scores bangers. Anyone who hasn't seen it should look up her goal versus England. Yeah, it was, it was a good one. It was an incredible strike. And I'm glad, you know, even though I was supporting England and, and, I, and I hope they beat Spain in the final, um, I'm glad that Australia in that big stadium in Sydney had that moment to remember. Like, if you went to that game and you watched – England win 2-0, you're kind of like, oh, that was a bit anticlimactic. Yeah. But, you know, England was winning 1-0, and then Sam Kerr scored this cracker. Now I'm, now I'm all English. A cracker of a of a goal. And, like, the crowd got to celebrate, yeah. you know? And even though England came back and scored and then scored another one and ultimately won the game 3-1, like, they will have that memory of that moment of Sam Kerr scoring against England. There's nothing worse than going to a game for your favorite team and having nothing to cheer about, right? Like you're down early, you never come back, you don't even get this chance to be like, oh, that save really kept us in the game. It's just you're out of it instantly and you never have that one moment. So it's good for Australia. I wanted to read this one quickly. Adjusted an East fan, what we learned. I learned that the Halbro Big Band intro song uh, when I watched, I heard, sorry, I heard the Halbro Big Band intro song when I watched Oppenheimer last night. Holiday in Big Band Land plays in the background when Robert Downey Jr.'s character uh, introduced his son and fiance wow, to Oppenheimer. Wow, good catch. And he also says, what? The, the soundtrack is something that Bruff would never get to experience while he's reading the book. But that's wild. If that's true, that <laughs> well, the intro song. It's an open song, source song. So. That the intro song that you guys play is in Oppenheimer. That blew my is mind it, is when I read so that. Is it so old that it is no longer copyright protected? Maybe. That's why they use it in the movie, because they didn't have to pay any rights for it. Yeah. Ah, they were really. Uh, that's a really good ear, though, from the listener. I was going to say, that. like, wow. that's very, very impressive to, uh, to pick up on that. Yeah, I didn't notice that at all. Apparently, they were really pinching pennies on the soundtrack for <laughs> Oppenheimer. We've spent a lot of money on this. <laughs> we got to get some open source music. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for texting in. As always, another one coming up tomorrow here on Sportsnet 650.